Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening to you. Just after 6 o'clock on VOC 91.3 FM, broadcasting out in the Boerland and the broader Atlantic areas. Please let us know if you have any connection problems out that side, because I know some people out in the southern suburbs don't pick us up as clearly. Uh, check with our office hour number, what is the correct frequency, but uh, throughout the greater Cape Town, um, it is 91.3 FM. But alhamdulillah, shukr to Allah for uh, allowing us to broadcast in so many uh, frequencies and uh, uh, the distance as well. Uh, I know people are listening to us um, abroad. So shukran so much for staying tuned every Saturday between 6 and 7 o'clock on Voice of the Cape. Uh, make use of our audio stream uh, line as well. Audio stream on vocfm.co.za. Click on Listen Live. I see our website has been updated. We also have the latest news and other interesting information from the community. I'm Khawa Solomon and welcome to another edition of Questions and Answers. Uh, with me as usual is Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh, and welcome back. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. How are you today? Very well, alhamdulillah. It's weekend, a little bit more relaxed. So, uh, Sheikh, we're going to get straight into the questions. And the first one reads, can you kiss the forehead of the deceased, Sheikh? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. The interaction that we normally display with the deceased is a topic that uh, I think a lot of people are uh, anxious about because naturally if a person dies within your family, we very often don't know how to react. We don't know mm. what to do. We don't know. We feel uncomfortable. Mm. And, and, and I think there's a lot of uh, superstitions uh, around it as well, uh, things that people do or don't do because of the situation. And with regards to this particular question of kissing the forehead of the deceased, uh, if it is the same gender, a male one to kiss a male or a female wanting to kiss a female then obviously it is allowed and if it is a mahram relationship as well like a daughter wanting to kiss the forehead of the father or vice versa or a brother wanting to kiss the forehead of the sister or vice versa then of course it is allowed and the same goes for husband and wife as well there is no issue as far as that is concerned in fact there is uh, permissibility given uh, Imam Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala states in his book Al-Majmu' he says يَجُوزُ لِأَهْلِ الْمَيِّتِ وَأَسْتِقَائِ Imam Nawawi says it is permissible for the family of the deceased and their friends, not only the family but also the friends, mm. to kiss the face of the deceased. And there has, this has been established by many ahadith, says Imam Nawawi. Then some of the ahadith obviously is uh, one that is narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha. She says, أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قبل عثمان بن مثعون وهو ميت وهو يبكي أو قالت وعيناه تذرفان. The hadith appears in Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood. Aisha says that the Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم kissed Uthman ibn Mad'oon, the Sahabi was very dear to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi So when he died, the Prophet kissed him when he died and the Prophet was crying, he was weeping. You know, his eyes were tearing because he was in a state of sadness, having lost a good friend and a good companion. Even Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, it is reported, reported in Sahih al-Bukhari as well, that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, qabbala al-Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa huwa mayyit. When the Prophet sallallahu had passed on, and Abu Bakr came to ziyarah him for the first time, after he had passed on, he also kissed the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam. So these are ample evidences to show that it is absolutely allowed for same gender, even if it's not family, or 
uh, even the opposite gender, if it is family or mahram relations like that, there is no trouble and there is no issue in that. In fact, it is something that has been done by our Prophet ﷺ as well as his companions, which shows uh, absolute permissibility as far as that is concerned. Shukran, Sheikh. Uh, and then another question which kind of ties in with the first answer that Sheikh just gave is, Assalamu alaikum. Um, I would like to know what if a husband dies, can the wife see at the husband? Shukran. Absolutely. I just mentioned it now that wife and husband and husband and wife, there is no limitations, there's no issues there uh, to ziyara and to bid farewell and to, you know, say, say your final goodbyes to them, etc. Uh, and to make dua for them in their presence like that. Uh, there is no problem at all. Uh, uh, interestingly, you will find that even in the books of fiqh with regards to the ghusl of the bayit, you know, who's got the most right to wash the deceased? Mm. Now, we know it's always same gender first, right? So a male should wash a male and a female should wash a female. female. Now, the point here is, what if there is no same gender but there's opposite gender? Who do we give preference to? Do we give preference to the wife having to whistle the husband? Mm. Or do we give preference to the sister of the deceased? For example, the sister or even the mother for that, for that sense. So is the mother or the sister more superior to wash a male? Or is the wife more superior to wash her husband? Okay. In that case, you will find that our fiqh teaches us that the wife has got more right to wash the deceased, even more so than his own mother, mm. even more so than his own sister. And the reason for that is that there are obviously, uh, there was uh, intimate connection between the husband and wife, more than what there was even between that deceased and his own mother. Okay. Okay. So there shows that the wife can play a prominent role. She can wash the, the, her own husband, for example, and vice versa as well. If there are no male relatives or male people to do it, then opposite gender, it means uh, the, the wife can do it for the husband and the husband can, in fact, do it for the wife. So if that is possible, then obviously to ziyara is much less, mm. you know, it's much less of an issue for her to be in the room. I know there are, like I said, when it comes to death, when it comes to these issues, there's lots of superstitions. Mm. So all of a sudden people say, no, 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 she must be out of the room. She mustn't even sit there. They are no longer married. They are haram for each other. She shouldn't be close to him uh, and all those kinds but of things. But also because of the, the, the strangers in the room, yeah. possibly, and she's under it, uh, yeah. and all of that. Possibly that could be considered, yes, mm. if she is uh, uh, going to sit close and tight with her. But if there's other people around, there's mahrams around, there's no problem mm. for her to be in the room. Okay. And we should not be overly worried about that. The fact is it's an emotional time And if she mm. wanted to bid farewell to her, hus her husband There's nothing that can stop her from doing that uh, You know, that is obviously uh, natural That a, a person would want to do mm. uh, Before a person um, leaves the house, etc So uh, there is no issue like that at all um, We should we should allow, you know uh, We should allow a woman to mourn We should mm. allow her to And I mean, after all Some people say they are they are completely strangers And they are cut, etc It's not true that they are completely cut uh, entirely you know, because they still inherit from each other. You know, they still they still have rights over each other even after death because the husband will always inherit from the wife and the wife will always inherit mm -hmm. from the husband. And even so, the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned that a person should not mourn over a deceased person for more than three days except a wife. She's allowed to mourn longer than that mm -hmm. because her mourning period is four months and ten days. Mm -hmm. As we know, the period of the Idda. So she's the only category of per people that uh, that is allowed to mourn more than three days. Mm -hmm. You know, and that shows that there is still a close link between husband and wife, 
even after one of them die and so we should allow um, the wife uh, you know to mourn her husband and to be uh, in the room with him and to bid farewell to him there's absolutely of course there are scholars that say look if it's, if she's going to be over emotional or she's going to go out of line and mm -hmm. wail and shout and all of that and obviously there's something else there there you should draw the line mm -hmm. say no we should be satisfied with the decree of Allah etc we should not go overboard uh, in some of these things but to simply say that she cannot be there at all is obviously a very uh, abnormal or unnatural mm -hmm. it's an unnatural request uh, to expect her not to be prominent as far as that is concerned shukran sheikh assalamu alaikum um sheikh the next one reads about a 17 year old uh, girl wanting to be married and not not wanting anyone to know about it but i don't think we have we have a minute left before break and i don't think sheikh has enough time to do justice to that question so we're going to wait till after the break and pose that question Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back. Uh, I'm Khawa Solomon with me, Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas, answering your questions via SMS on 47913. And you can also call us during office hours and chat to Zirina Jacobs to pose your questions on Questions and Answers. So, Sheikh, um, as said earlier, the next one reads, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh, my daughter is 17 and wants to get married, but does not want anyone to know about it. Shukran, Sheikh, what to do? Uh, yeah, I would want to... Uh, uh I would want to know why she want to keep it a secret um, because marriage is not supposed to be kept a secret. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, that is why we know one of the prerequisites of a proper nikah is that there must be witnesses, you know, witnesses that uh, can testify that the nikah actually took place. Mm -hmm. So that already shows that there cannot be complete secrecy as far as nikah is concerned. And uh, one should also bear in mind that if a person is married to uh, another person and nobody knows about it, it may cause fitna within a community because people will see them together, let's say, or holding hands or walking together alone or being alone somewhere. Mm -hmm. And people may raise some eyebrows, you know, if they don't know that they are married. Mm -hmm. And that is why we find even Rasulullah had encouraged us very strongly in an authentic hadith that is narrated by uh, by uh, Imam Ahmad and Imam Al-Hakim uh, and the hadith is authentic. The Prophet said, A'linu an-nikah. And look at the simple words, but it's so it's so powerful. Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam says, "Proclaim the nikah, mm. make the nikah open. You know, announce the nikah to everyone, so that it can become public knowledge, so that people don't have any suspicions, etc." So, if a person gets married, and uh, I suspect maybe the daughter, if she's seventeen, she maybe feels she's still young. She don't want people to know that she's married mm. because she shouldn't worry about that at all. Because age, of course, you know, is not that important. What is important is to do the right thing and to, um, of course, if they, let's say, and I'm just going to be technical about this. Let's say they do get married, okay, and they were, they were witnesses and they followed the proper procedure where there was a wali, a guardian, and there was um, a spoken offer and the acceptance of that offer. And there was a mahar that was exchanged and all the other prerequisites of the nikah is to be found. Then of course the nikah will be valid. Mm. So even if they keep it secret, the nikah will be valid. They are married and there's no issue as far as the validity of the nikah is concerned. However, uh, the issue of keeping it total secret and not wanting anybody to know and keeping it under wraps is not perhaps the best thing to do. Because you don't, as I said, want to create further uh, suspicion perhaps or fitna within the community. So she should uh, you know, rather uh, contemplate uh, the fact that uh, you know to, to create fitna is worse 
than perhaps to want to keep this marriage a secret. Allah knows best uh, what the reasons are why she want to do that. Shukran, Shaykh. Assalamu alaikum. When a female alone at home make a fardal salah, mashi iqama, Shaykh? It is sunnah for a female, whether she's alone or whether they are in a group, and they are going to make a group salah amongst females only, then it is sunnah for them only to make the iqama and not to make the adhan. This was mentioned by Imam An-Nawawi in his book, Al-Minhaj, Minhaj Al-Talibin. He says, وَيُنْدَبُ لِجَمَاعَةِ النِّسَاءِ الْإِقَامَةُ لَلْأَذَانُ عَلَى الْمَشْهُورِ It is uh, recommended for a group of women to make the iqama and not to make the adhan. And this is the most uh, renowned view on this issue. Okay, So whether a woman is making salah by herself, or whether she is making salah in a group, a group of women that are that is only only women then in both cases she should make or one of them should make iqama but they will not necessarily make um, make adhan okay if it was a mixed gathering then of course adhan will be made if it was um, adhan will obviously be made uh, um, but uh, alone uh, women alone only iqama without adhan and it's the issue of the voice of course uh, you know, uh, if the voice is allowed, etc., et it mm. may cause issues uh, for, for, for males or strangers that are in the vicinity, etc. So it's best for them to keep it soft and to keep it low uh, and rather just to make the iqama and not the adhan. Shukran, Shaykh. Assalamu alaikum. If a boy who grew up with a Christian parents, uh, he was nine years old when they passed on at the time. This is where it gets interesting, Shaykh. Can we say he was Muslim as he was not mukallaf? Yeah. yeah, this is uh, something which our scholars, alhamdulillah, have uh, you know looked at and what is the status of such a child, you mm. know, because surely this child was not really responsible yet to choose and to know what is right and wrong and to know, you know, what Islam is and all of that. Okay. So surely there, there must be kind of a leeway as far as this child's future is con- concerned in the year after and stuff like that. And we find that Imam al-Ramli, for example, and this is just one example out of many uh, quotations, Imam al-Ramli, as stated in his uh, book Nihayatul Muhtaj, he stated, "Amma fil akhirah, fakullu man ma taqabla al-bulugh min awlad al-kuffar al-asliyin wal-murtadin fil jannah fil asah." He says, "As for the akhirah, for the year after, any person who passed away before becoming an adult, right, from the from amongst the children of the non-believers." And what an uh, interesting uh, limitation that he put on here is, he says, whether those people are non-Muslims uh, originally, meaning they are like Yahud or Nasara or like that, or even if they are Murtad for that matter, meaning they were Muslim and they became non-Muslim afterwards. So the parents were Muslim, they became non-Muslim. Mm. Then they had children. And then that child died before the age of being Mukallaf. He says in all of these cases, that child is in paradise, inshallah. That child will be saved, in other words. Because obviously the ayah of the Qur'an is quite clear as far as this is concerned. In Surah Bani Israel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كُنَّا مُعَذِّبِينَ حَتَّى نَبَعَثَ رَسُولًا We can never punish a people unless and until we send to them a messenger. Okay, now in this case, if a child is not yet mukallaf, what does he know about the message? Mm. What does he know about the Quran? What does he know about Islam? He was not yet by his full mind to actually choose right from wrong. So in this case, of course, uh, uh, this is, and of course, there's other views as well, but this is the most prominent view, mm. according to Imam al-Ramli and according to Imam al-Nawawi and others. This is the most prominent view. There are other views on this issue as well. Some of the views, for example, say, no, they will follow their parents. Mm. Okay. Then there's a third view that, that say, no, um, Allah will decide on the day of judgment what will happen to them. We mm. don't know. 
Okay. Um, and so there are different views, but Imam Ramli, as I quoted, stated that the most correct view is that these children that died in a state of uh, not being mukallaf mm -hmm. and they had parents that were non-Muslim, they will definitely be in Jannah, they will be saved because Allah Ta'ala will not punish a soul uh, if the soul was not able to recognize right from wrong in the first place. Shukran, Sheikh. Um, I'd like to add on with this question. It's, you know, the, the fact that the boy is now nine years old and he's now going to have to grow up as a non-Muslim, whether his parents, family are non-Muslims, but what if he has Muslim family? What is the responsibility of that Muslim family? Then? No, we obviously cannot uh, interfere, you know, as far as that child uh, is concerned, because that child will be under the jurisdiction of its parents. So the child, you know, but if the parents had passed on? Yeah, if, there's, if the parents have passed on and there's absolutely no one amongst his own immediate family, to take care of proceedings, then of course the Muslim family can then step in mm -hmm. and they can do Muslim procedures for him if there's no one else. Okay, because uh, now he's been raised so called as a Christian, yes, his parents died yes. as Christian. But if there's no one else, then of course they can do that. But if there's other uh, family involved and they yeah. want to claim, then obviously we cannot interfere, okay, okay because that was their choice, that is mm -hmm. how they, but in terms of the akhirah, that child will still okay. be saved, okay. whether the procedures have been done or not. So it's not dependent on whether Salatul Janaza is made over them or whether they are hustled and stuff like that. But let's say there is absolutely no one, hmm. which is perhaps what you are saying, there's no one except Muslim family hmm. or close ones. Then in that case, we can follow Muslim procedures because we consider that child to be saved in any way. Hmm. We consider the child to be a child of Jannah. So we can follow the normal procedures in burial uh, in that particular case if there is no objection. Shukran, Shaykh. Inshallah, we come back with more of your questions on 47913. Back in a moment. The Voice of the K. The Voice of the K. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. This is Questions and Answers with me, uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas, answering your question. And the next one reads, Sheikh, Assalamu alaikum. Can a husband sleep with the other wife when it is not her time to be with, uh, with him? Yeah, uh, one of the uh, major uh, duties of a husband that has more than one wife is to make sure that he gives them equal time and he makes sure that he does not uh, give preference of one uh, for one over the other in terms of resources, in terms of everything else. Uh, this would be a sin on his part. Uh, we know that the Prophet ﷺ was very particular on this issue. I mentioned many times before that uh, towards the end of the life of Rasulullah he used to still be concerned as to whose chance it is amongst his wives for him to stay at. Even during illness he would ask, uh, where should I go tomorrow? Until obviously they gave him permission to remain with Sayyidatina Aisha radiallahu anha. And so um, the, the, the technicality here is, if let's say the husband has got two wives, so obviously he's giving uh, one day and one night for each one. One day and one night for each one, right? So it's uh, every alternate day by by the, by a different wife. In that case, obviously, he should not enter upon the wife whose chance it is not yet, right? He should not enter upon her except for necessity. Because sometimes he needs to enter quickly just to make sure the kids are okay or something urgent came up just to sort out and settle, etc. Okay? And if he does that and there's a need for it, then it's fine. But he should not also overstay his visit. You should just do what is necessary and then go, especially if it is not the time for that particular fam for that particular wife. 
okay because each wife deserves their time and if he does that uh, you know without um, any justification and if he does that intentionally then he's committing a sin he is definitely committing a sin so the question here is may he just you know if, if, if let's say it's wife number one's turn but he's by wife number two currently okay can he i think the question here is can he now just sleep there and sleep over if he feels tired or whatever even though it is not her turn the answer is no he cannot do that okay and if he does so he must then give the other wife extra time as well mm. in other words he must make up for the time also and he has committed a sin by for foregoing the turn of the other wife uh, so it's it's very particular it's very meticulous uh, it should not be something that is taken lightly because after all it's an amana you've taken on the wife that uh, deserves your care and attention and there will be consequences if a person does not fulfill this as i mentioned earlier on uh, this person will be responsible by allah ta'ala so he must make sure that he gives equal time equal resources and equal um, attention to both of the wives as i said if there's a need to go to the other one uh, to settle something sometimes that there's something wrong with the child or something to be fixed or just something to be dropped off or something to be picked up that's fine that we can understand as long as it is not an intentional overstay uh, uh, at the one place at the expense of the other. Shukran, Sheikh. Uh, the next one reads, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I was married three years ago, but because of my situation, I just tell my husband last month that I don't love him anymore. And I really mean it. Is this reason for a fasakh? No, I don't believe it's a strong enough reason just to annul a marriage um, or to get a fasakh. Um, the question really here is that I would like to pose is that if you've been married for three years and all of a sudden you say you don't love your husband anymore, there must be underlying reasons why you are not loving your husband anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, there must be things that he either did to you or didn't do to you or things that you feel has changed. Um, I'm going to be very bold to ask there may be even another person who has, has surfaced either from your side or his side. So it's very important that these questions come up and that these questions are addressed. You know, you cannot simply go in front of a judge and say, I want out of the marriage because I don't love him anymore. Because mm. why did you get married in the first place? Why did you then love him at first and there was everything was okay and then all of a sudden? So saying that you don't love someone any longer is not strong enough. There must be other reasons that led to that point that we need to probe and that we need to um, resolve before we can say a fasakh is possible or an annulment of that particular marriage is possible. So uh, I, I find this quite disturbing nowadays where, where, where people, you know, they are married and this is only three years, but sometimes we find longer than that. Mm. We find people married for 10 years, 15, 20 years. Then they say, no, we, we just don't love each other anymore. Or I just don't love her anymore. Or I just don't love him anymore. Mm. And that's the only reason they give, you know, and that doesn't make sense to me. Because love is not something that just comes and goes like that. Mm. There must be reasons that either bring it on or reasons that repels it. And it is those reasons that we must address why a person feels like that. I believe this woman, she's not feeling like this in a vacuum. You know, It just it didn't happen overnight. There must have been other things. And this is what any uh, judge will ask You know, if you want a fasakh. Why are you feeling like this? Why all of a sudden are you not in love with your husband any longer? You know, and you got married to him. It was an amana that you took on. He took an on amana. It's mm. an agreement between you and Allah. How can you just break it like that? It's it's a sacred thing, you know. And that is why the ahadith say that the throne of Allah Taala is is shaken when there is divorce, because Allah doesn't like people to uh, annul their marriages or to just give mm. up on their marriages.
So um, this is basically the question that we are going to ask you is you should be able to explain why you feel like that. And if it is now discovered that there are very strong reasons that made you feel like that, let's say one of the reasons that you feel like this is that he had neglected you as a wife. In what way? He did not give you nafaka any longer. He did not look after you any longer. He did not fulfill his marital duties towards you any longer. If that is the case, then you've got a strong reason for fasakh. But it's not simply because you don't love him. It's because you don't love him based on those reasons. And those are the reasons that must first come out and surface before a judgment uh, will be able will be will be given on this on this ma- on this matter. Shukran so much, Sheikh. And I think in all the dull and gloom um, with regards to problems in a marriage, we received a very interesting SMS that says, "Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Moas, directed at Sheikh. They just want to say shukran to my wife for everything she's doing for me. I love you so much, Wassalam." Mashallah, <laughs> that is it really is a breath of fresh air for us, mm. where we don't have a question uh, saying, uh, you know, inquiring about a problem, mm. but rather something positive. You know, saying that it's not all of us have problems. Mm. And yes, alhamdulillah, I am a strong believer that there's so many good people out there. There's so many good marriages out there. Mm. There's so many beautiful things happening out there. It's just this kind of show, obviously, that don't highlight that because yes. we, we are here to obviously listen to people's issues. To but I, I, I'm, I'm very glad that the person sent it because it gives, I think, encouragement for others. Mm. Uh, because people may begin to wonder, you know, is there any marriage out there that is okay? Because mm. the, the type of questions that we answer here. And there's living proof of it that there are still marriages that are quite rock solid and that people still love each other the way that they should, etc. So shukran for that. Uh, SMS, don't hold back if you've got some well wishes and just to give a, uh, uh, I say, a, um, a ray of sunlight, a sunlight rather, to uh, all the um, negativity happening in this uh, community. We, uh, we really appreciate it and do keep them coming. Assalamu alaikum. The next one reads, Sheikh, if husband has more than one wife, can the first wife make a nuisance via phone calls or text messages, if not her time, causing problems between the other wife and husband? <laughs> it seems we have so many questions of two wives coming up uh, in this yes, program. Sure. Uh, and uh, yes, somebody really who's taking a second wife, he should really be able to think about all these things mm. before he gets involved You know, in anything like this. It's quite a lot of dynamics and a lot of uh, diversities that he will have to be facing mm. and uh, logistics, not, not forgetting the logistics that he needs to sort out. So in this case, uh, the wife is completely that the other wife keeps on texting or keeps on sending messages or phoning unnecessarily. Yes, if the intention of that wife is simply just to cause trouble and stuff like that, then it's wrong, you know, she shouldn't be doing that. And again, I repeat, it is the husband's duty to set these boundaries. You know, the husband should should lay the foundation for all of this because mm-hmm. he is the sultan in the house. And that's a title that he often like to boast about. You know, husbands like to boast about that title. Mm. So here's a chance for you to display this title. You are the sultan. Make sure that the deen of Allah is being carried out in your home with regards to your two wives. So if this is the case, you should be telling your first wife, look, you cannot be phoning me all the time when I'm by the second wife, especially if it's unnecessary, especially if it's a nuisance. If it is that uh, a phone call has come through or something that is an urgency or that is important, then one can understand that, right? Let's say the child becomes sick. Um, and the, the husband is by the other wife. Mm. And obviously that wife should understand that the child is priority, can go there and, and you know messages or whatever regarding that will be acceptable. But if it's simply just to take his time, you know, it could be that the wife is just spiteful. She knows that the husband is now by the other wife and she's just spiteful now. She keeps on phoning or she keeps on sending texts and stuff like that that is unimportant. Then yes, that should be something which he should curb and that he should put a, a, a stop to. 
because after all, um, you know, it's, it is going to be a nuisance for the other wife and it's going to be troublesome for her to be, uh, for her time to be taken like that if you are going to be on the phone with the other wife all the time. So it's a lot of things that needs to be worked out logistically. And it is really upon the husband to sort out these things to the best of his ability to make sure that everybody is happy and everybody at least feels contented within their space that they find themselves in. I think there are big issues around second marriage. Seeing that we get so much problems, so they, they should be maybe Sheikh should encourage having a um, a class or the ulama to have a class for men yeah. who have second marriages yeah, think, or choose to want mm, to take a second wife. Absolutely. Now I think people <laughs> taking a second wife are very brave. Yes. Alhamdulillah, it's a, it's a area you know that shows perhaps strength from their side. But uh, uh, looking at the questions, it yeah. also shows it comes with it, with its fair share of issues, yes, trouble, and, and 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 I think that was that will always be there. I don't mm. think any any marriage will ever, if there's two two wives, will ever be free of the, those kinds of issues. Mm. But I think it's how the the husband is going to handle it, you yes. know, and how he's going to deal with it. Yeah. That is his, and 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 here we can clearly say that is his baby. You know, he mm. we will have to sort it out mm. because he decided to go that route. So no one else. And I'm sure he knows about the issues. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really hide it if the the wife, especially if the wife is upset about it, you would be the first to know. So inshallah, try and communicate firstly uh, with your husband so he knows whether you are the first wife number one, two or three, inshallah. All the best to those uh, marriages because at the end of the day, it is is real stories and issues. Assalamu alaikum. Is it permissible to ignore and not greet a family member that constantly degrades and insults the ulama sheikh, calls them Dajjal and say they promote shirk? Yeah, we, we cannot uh, obviously win people over by showing bad character. You know, if somebody shows bad character, we should show them better character. We shouldn't mm. uh, go down to their level, you know. We shouldn't. Um, so this person who's bad-mouthing the ulama, it's obviously very bad for him to do that. But how are we going to convince him or win him over or, you know, encourage him to change? Mm. We cannot do that by shunning him or by not uh, involving ourselves or by not greeting, etc., to the contrary, mm. this is a person that we should embrace and we should engage and that we should talk to and that we should try to spread the love and the peace to him and try to change his ways in a way that is conducive. And I love this hadith by the Prophet mm. that is narrated by Abu Huraira and the hadith is found in the book of Imam Muslim, very well-known hadith. The Prophet says, لا تدخلوا الجنة حتى تؤمنوا You will never enter the Jannah, you will never enter paradise until you believe. وَلَا تُؤْمِنُوا حَتَّى تَحَابُّوا And you will never believe until you love each other. أَوَلَا أَدُلُّكُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ إِذَا فَعَلْتُمُوهُ تَحَابَبْتُمْ Shouldn't I teach you something? If you were to do it, you will increase your love for each other. The Sahaba says, Please tell us, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet says to them, أَفْشُوا السَّلَامَ بَيْنَكُمْ Make sure that you spread the salam between yourselves. Mm-hmm. Meaning the peace and the greetings. Spread the greetings of peace amongst yourselves. So this is an indication by the mere fact that you are greeting your Muslim brother that will be eventually a chance for you to breed the love between you and him and it will breed good relations between you and, and him. So this person who's doing this, yes, we should obviously give nasiha to him. We should uh, advise him properly and adequately and we should tell him that what you are doing is obviously wrong. You should never you know, slander the ulama. If you have a problem with an alim, if you have a problem with, with something, you know, go to the alim himself. Try to sort out, find out why he said that, what he said. You know, we are human beings. Uh, after all, I want to mention, you know, we as ulama, we are human beings. We are not uh, malaika. We are not angels. We are not infallible. 
Mm. No one is infallible except the Anbiya. So even a, a even a alim, a sheikh, he can make mistakes, you know. He can do something wrong. He can do something that perhaps you are not happy with. Mm. On the other hand, there is also another point that I wish to mention. This person who is perhaps slandering ulama, etc., etc., you know. Don't limit yourself to think that you, one view that you are used to or that you have heard is alone correct, you know. There's very often opportunity for more than one view. There's opportunity for difference of opinion. And on the show, I've highlighted this many times, where I would even answer and say, the Shafi'i say so, but the Hanbali say something else. The Maliki say something, but the uh, the other Madhab say something else. Which shows there's diversity, you know, there's dynamics within our Sharia. Mm. And very often we are very dogmatic in our approach, where we it's only our, our view, you know, alone. And there's no other view. If you look at the Sahaba, even they had views on many issues, where they differed with one another on many issues. But the love was always there. They never had this respect for each other. Mm. I mean, the mere fact that Imam Shafi'i was a student of Imam Malik, this is actually something which is amazing. Imam Shafi'i was a student of Imam Malik, but yet he devised his own madhab, mm. which was completely different to the madhab of Imam Malik. Likewise, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal was a student of Imam Shafi'i, mm. but yet he devised his own madhab, which is different to Imam Shafi'i's. Of course, not on all issues, but on many issues, they differed. But they never... Decrease their love for each other. Mm. They never disrespected each other. They never badmouthed each other. They never slandered each other. No, they, they had a tremendous amount of tolerance and love and mahabba and respect for each other. So this is the type of nasiha that we should be giving to this brother. Saying to him, look, the ulama, they are not infallible. If you've got something good, go to the person and ask him, why did you say such and such? I don't understand. Maybe you can make me understand. And if he's still convinced with what he said, then accept it. Perhaps it's a different view that you are not used to or that you did not hear before. Mm. Instead of crucifying or saying this, I mean, to call somebody Dajjal, you know, saying that they call the ulama Dajjal. I mean, it's, it's a very bad thing. You know, imagine you compare somebody to Dajjal. Dajjal is like the worst of, of, of our calamities that will happen mm. towards the end of time. Then Abu Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says there's no fitna greater than the fitna of Dajjal that will come. Because he will change everything around, everything that is right he will make wrong, and everything that is beautiful he will make ugly, etc. So to compare any human being for that matter to Dajjal is something which is which is unbecoming. So, but how do you how do you how do you how do you win over such a person? You mm. know, not by shunning him, not by showing him bad manners, not by you also crucifying him or that. No, greet him, take his hand, sit with him, try to encourage him, try to give beautiful advice as. The Quran teaches us Udu'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal mu'idatil hasana Call towards Allah Ta'ala with hikmah And with good admonition with Good words that is, And that is how Rasulullah Sallallahu won over people People cursed him as well People called him also all sorts of names They called him a majnoon, a madman They called him a kahin, a soothsayer They called him a sha'ir, a poet They gave him all sorts of ugly titles But the Nabi kept on making dua for them Say, oh Allah, forgive them, maybe they don't know. Oh Allah, guide them, maybe they don't know. So this should be our attitude as well towards this brother and towards others. Make dua for each other. Spread the love and peace amongst each other. Give good advice. And hopefully, you know, some of these things can be resolved. And if it cannot be resolved, at, at least we can remain tolerant and respectful hmm. towards each other. That is the least that is required from us. Inshallah. Shukran, uh, Sheikh. Um, Another good and uh, very pleasing message that we can say, not that the others aren't, <laughs> they're just a bit challenging, inshallah, but alhamdulillah, um, we received another um, 
positive uh, message, Sheikh. It's again just to Sheikh Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Moos. Just want to say shukran, big bold letters to my parents for being there for me. May Allah grant their health, rizik, and increase their business, inshallah. Amin. I know we did in the previous show talk about parents, so yeah, it's a, a good message for Beautiful, mashallah. Very encouraging to at least see, you know, the other side of the coin mm-hmm. where somebody is thanking his parents and showing great respect and love for them. And may Allah grant all of us to follow in this particular Amen. footstep and have this beautiful relationship with our parents, inshallah. Inshallah, next we ask a question around the marriage again, but um, parents, you know, having issues or causing problems after the short break, Sheikh answers it. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening and welcome back. This is Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Salman and uh, we have the resident imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in studio with us, Sheikh Ibrahim Wurs, who's answering your questions, um, availing himself uh, quite diligently um, answering them. And inshallah, Sheikh, so the next one reads, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh, if a woman is married and the husband is a young man, and the marriage poses problems. Example, the father-in-law and wife beats him and is verbally abusive. What can I as the wife do, Sheikh? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm a bit confused with yeah, the, you know, who messages, is, yeah. yeah, who is beating who. I mean, the, the father-in-law is beating up this poor boy and also the His wife. His parents. Yeah, her parents, it seems. Okay. So uh, I don't know who's posing the question, if it's the, the wife herself or because it seems the wife is beating him as well. Um, or maybe it's the father-in-law and his wife. Okay, so the mother-in-law and father-in-law seems to be beating him. Yes. And uh, she's person. the wife saying, uh, in other words, she's the daughter of these people saying, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's your parents, you know, um, lifting their hand for your husband because he's a young man, etc. Um, it's problematic because, uh, you know, it's not going to solve or it's not going to... Um, get any respect or any any uh, resolution out of any issues that may be within your marriage so i think you as the daughter should be kind of uh, very firm you know to your parents in telling them that look uh, it's our marriage you know he is quite young but let us sort out our issues you know let us try to work on the problems that we have before the two of you interfere and and make them understand that you appreciate their help, you appreciate their input, etc. But they are perhaps causing more trouble than what is what is currently uh, experienced. Um, uh, so you, as the wife, and you are much older, it appears, uh, than your husband. You should then, you know, try to convince your parents that this is not the route that we should be following. We should never become abusive, etc. Let's try to, like adults, you know, sit around and and speak about things. And the first point of departure always is if there's trouble between husband and wife, for them to talk about the issues and not for other people to interfere, mm. even if it be the parents. The parents should not automatically interfere. I think parents sometimes think they have that right of just automatically interfering. You know, um, uh, I think that is problematic because we, we as, as married couples, we should try to sh- sort out our things first. And yes, if we need consultation from our parents, then that should be done. And in that case, parents should not become abusive as well. You know, parents should try to respect the the, the boundaries that uh, are set there. Of course, uh, if somebody is married to your daughter, you don't have the right to verbally or physically abuse them, etc. You should, in fact, treat them with kindness and and try to resolve uh, things amicably. So I think here you as the wife and the daughter of these people that are beating your husband should try your best to convince them 
to do uh, to follow a different route and maybe get someone to support you in this maybe you can't do it by yourself mm. it's maybe difficult get some of your other siblings uh, in if they are or any other family members to stand by your side in convincing your parents that what they are doing is just uh, aggravating the problem further between you and your husband uh, the abuse and the the, the beating and so on um, so get someone maybe to stand with you to address this issue hopefully inshallah there will be some 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 resolution to it inshallah inshallah all the best to this couple and the family as well um, assalamu alaikum can a muslim sell qurbani meat Sheikh? Yeah, this is uh, an interesting question. Um, of course, the, the person who is offering the qurbani himself, who is making the sacrifice, he is allowed to eat himself um, some of the qurbani meat. And in fact, it is sunnah, it is mustahab and recommended mm-hmm. for him to eat and get the barakah of the meat as well. Okay. And he may also give uh, some of the meat to his family, even mm-hmm. if they're not poor, or his neighbors. He may give them something as well. But he should try to give the bulk of it to the poor and the needy. Okay. okay, the point the needy they should get the bulk of. I mean, of course, some scholars have said you can take a third and a third to your family and another third to the poor and needy. Mm-hmm. That division and distribution is also okay. Although, in my opinion, the first one is better, where you just take a small portion, give a small portion to your family, and give a larger portion to the poor and the needy. So, you that did the sacrifice, you are not allowed to sell anything uh, that belongs to that animal. Not okay. even the skin, not even the 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 insides. You're not allowed to sell anything. Mm. Okay, it must all be given away as sadaqah, or you can consume it if you like, but you're not allowed to make money out of it. Mm. Now, interestingly, if you give uh, a piece of that meat to your family or your neighbors, and they are not poor people, they are just your family, and you want to give them the barakah, then they too are not allowed to sell those meat, the meat. Okay. They can consume it, they can give it away to someone else, but they are not allowed to, to make money out of it. Right? However, if the meat is given to the poor and the needy, that poor person who receives the meat, he is at liberty to do with the meat whatever he wishes. Okay. So let's say he wants to sell the meat, mm. then he may do so. And the hikmah in that is, on the day of Eid al-Adha, he may receive a lot of meat. And he's not in need of so much meat. Yes, yes. So he may sell some of the meat to buy him something else. But that is on condition that he's poor, that he's somebody that is in need. Okay? So the person uh, that is in that condition, he's the only one that is able to sell off something that was given to him as qurbani meat. Because he may be in need of buying or purchasing another item in his home which is more needed at the time. So he is the only one that is allowed to do that. As for the person who did the sacrifice, he cannot sell anything. And just a last point, some people, what they do sometimes is they have people that do the skinning of the animals. Mm -hmm. So instead of paying them money, they say to them, the payment is you can take all the skins, all the insides, and that that is your payment. That is not allowed because Mm -hmm. you are now actually using your qurbani as payment Mm. for a service that was rendered. So what you should do is you should either just give it to them and still pay them pay the money them. Okay. or keep it, keep all those things to, for yourself and just give them their, their wages that is due for skinning the animals. So in other words, you cannot use a part of the animal as part payment to those people that rendered a service to you. So you cannot do that and those 
uh, wealthy people of your family and neighbors that you gave, they also cannot sell anything of the qurbani. Uh, the only person that is able to sell is the poor person because he may really be in need of selling it to buy or to purchase something else which is needed within his home, inshallah. Shukran so much, Sheikh. Um, we know that that question probably came at the time um, when, uh, um, at the time of Eid al-Adha, um, but inshallah maybe all benefits from the answer of that question. So shukran so much, Sheikh. When we come back, questioner wants to know, should a, should a widowed wife show that she is mourning? Inshallah, but more details after the... Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. It is the last uh, segment of our question and answers for today. Shukran so much for joining us as you diligently do every week and also those that listens to us across the lands and over the seas. Uh, shukran for joining us this week. So Sheikh, the next one reads, Assalamu alaikum Maulana. Do you think a lady whose husband has passed away uh, and this person says have to look, but I read more has to have a certain look forbid all the time and dress so just to show the people outside that she is under Ida. Yeah, the issue of uh, Idda and uh, what a woman should be doing while she's under Idda is fortunately something which uh, has been discussed uh, by the Prophet Sallam. He gave us guidance on this. So uh, we, we don't have to look you know, far and, 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 and research uh, widely. But we find the ahadith being quite, uh, quite open to this issue. Uh, and one of the basic uh, concepts here is that the woman who is under Idda, who is mourning, she should not beautify herself. She should not over-beautify herself. But rather she should... Uh, you know, uh, just restrict herself to simplicity while she is in a state of mourning. The Prophet wasallam said in a hadith that is narrated by Ummu Atiyah, لا تحد امرأة على ميت فوق ثلاث That a woman should not mourn over a deceased person more than three days. إلا على زوج Except for a husband. أربعة أشهر وعشرة She's allowed to mourn for him four months and ten days. But then the Prophet ﷺ gives some idea as to what she should do while she is under this idda. لا تلبس ثوبا مصبوغا إلا ثوب عصب ولا تكتحل ولا تمس طيبا until the end of the hadith, it's quite a lengthy uh, discussion, but it summarizes in the fact that the Prophet ﷺ says she should not wear any flashy clothing, she should not put on kuhal, uh, uh, you know, which we call obviously the, the black things that we put in our eyes, you know, she should not put on mascara and all those things. Uh, she should not uh, put a lot of perfume on her body as well. You know, because she's in a state of mourning, so she should keep it simple while she's in that state. And I think the hikmaya is also she should not be attracting males, you know, mm. uh, to, to attention to her at all because she is in a state of idda and she won't be able to get married to them uh, except after the idda. Okay, so she should not be um, uh, attracting any unnecessary attention from uh, any person that may be attracted to her, etc. Uh, that's why the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says she mustn't wear flashy clothing, she mustn't put on mascara, she mustn't put on uh, a lot of perfume and stuff like this. Uh, and this uh, gives us quite a, a nice idea of how she should be in terms of her outward appearance. Obviously, it doesn't mean that she should look uh, un like somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, t totally uh, undesirable or in a s not undesirable. That's not the right word. She shouldn't look somebody that is really sort of uh, that look in a sense of helplessness morning. or hopelessness. <laughs> yeah, you know? she is morning. And I, and I think the the term that the person is asking here is should she look morbid? You know, should she yes, look like? Morbid, yeah. uh, should she look like she don't even smile? And, oh. and so, no, it's not necessary to go to that extent. 
You know, you are allowed to smile if you want to smile. You know, you are allowed to laugh if you want to laugh. You you are allowed to speak to to people still with with honor. You know, in dignity. You don't mm-hmm. have to. Uh, you know, in other words, it's not haram Help, for yeah. you to be happy for certain okay. things that happened during that period. Okay, it's not haram for you, mm-hmm. but you should try to keep your outward appearance as simple as possible, as to not attract, as I said, any possible males that would want to maybe propose to you, etc. Because you will not be able to obviously marry them except. Uh, after the idda is over which is four months and ten days inshallah shukran so much sheikh and then we have time for one last question inshallah it is assalamu alaikum sheikh i have painful arthritis can i take tayammun yes obviously if it is uh, absolutely unbearable for you to to use water while taking hudu we know that a person who is ill and really cannot and here obviously it must be serious it mustn't be like a very light illness but something that is really painful that makes it unbearable for you to take hudu then in such a case you can obviously take tayammum bearing in mind that tayammum can only be taken after the waqt has entered mm-hmm. and not before the waqt has entered and you can only make one fard salah with tayammum not more than one fard, fard salah you can make as much sunnah as you want if, were you to make another fard after that even if you did not go to the toilet you will have to renew your tayammum as well and uh, as I said, it must be a serious case of you not being able to use water. And we know that is one of the two cases where tayammum is uh, applicable. Either you cannot apply water because of illness, serious illness, or secondly, there's no water to be found. Then in both those cases, obviously, our deen, alhamdulillah, is a deen of ease. As Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah wants ease for you. He does not want difficulty for you. In another ayah, Allah says, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ Allah did not place any difficulty in your deen for you. And alhamdulillah, we should thank Allah that Allah has facilitated for us. You know, all these things, that there's always a way out. So this woman or this man that is not able to make a normal hudu due to uh, excruciating pains, they can make tayammum, alhamdulillah, mm. and the salah can still be performed. Um, uh, and I advise, obviously, for this person just to revise all the laws of tayammum, as I mentioned now. When can it be done? It can only be done after the waqt, etc. Just maybe consult and get the details of it, how it should be applied, so that you know you are doing it properly. Also, the way that you actually apply the tayammum. Some people think that tayammum, for example, are all the parts of the hudu that you have to wipe uh, with mm. the dust. The tayammum is only the, the, the face and the hands, including the arms to the elbows, right? Only the face and the arms. Only those two parts are, 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 are wiped with the tayammum. Uh, so those procedures, I advise that the person obviously consult with a nearby scholar in his area or her area just to find out exactly how the tayammum, if the person does not really know, of course, um, how exactly it must be done. But the quick answer is yes, you may do it if the pain is unbearable and you really cannot use water and it's really going to cause further difficulty within your health. Then you are allowed to make tayammum for both hudu purposes and for ghusl purposes for that matter. Even if you need a fard ghusl and you cannot do it due to the difficulty of using water, you can do tayammum for that as well. And the tayammum procedure stays exactly the same. It never changes. It's always just the face and the arms. Shukran so much, Sheikh. And that, unfortunately, is where we have to leave questions and answers for this week. For now, inshallah, we will be back with your questions. So please do keep them coming. And uh, messages as well, it seems we're getting in the Q&A slot. So we really do appreciate it. And uh, it's not all... Uh, what's it to say? Is that all gloom and tumor out there? Inshallah, all the best to all those that um, I think are in a bit of a challenge or you find yourself in a difficult situation. Make dua, don't forget to keep, you know, keep on that 
that um, closeness with the Almighty because, inshallah, you know, He's the only one that is able to solve your problems, really. And uh, for all those that need to know um, the answers as well um, quite quickly, please do consult your your local imam or sheikh in in the area as well. They're always available and very helpful or madrasa. And I think something that we always reiterate in the show is, you know, go and seek knowledge first, um, and whether it is inheritance or uh, asala or on, you know, basic uh, rules of fiqh. uh, The local masjid does have, I'm sure, your your madrasa classes there. So go and find out about it and go and seek knowledge. From the cradle to the grave. Uh, shukran so much, Sheikh, once again, and salam to the family till we speak again next week, inshallah. Kum salam, jazakumullah khairan to you and to our listeners for tuning in. May we be guided and protected for Ameen. the next week, inshallah, until we meet again. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.